Pastor Xavier Reese with today's simple truth about what happens when you choose to live by God's standard. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you're living with Christ, then you will be persecuted. Be it at work, be it at home, be it at school, you better expect persecution. One way, shape, or form for righteousness' sake. He says if you're persecuted, God's blessing will be upon you. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Now you've seen the books, Ten Steps to This, Seven Habits to That, but God's Word has its own list that surpasses anything that man could come up with. His list is called the Beatitudes. And today, Pastor Xavier picks up this message begun last time with the third Beatitude from Matthew chapter 5 in his study titled, A Disciple of Christ. The third one. In verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The word meek means gentle or mild. It's really the best definition I have found is power under control. Don't ever confuse it with weakness. Meekness is the ability to crush you and yet not. You ever see two dogs, a little chihuahua maybe? Big old Doberman Pinchman, this little chihuahua, and nipping at him, and, and, the, and the dog just sits there. That's meekness. He can just turn around, and it's all over. It's tacos for lunch. You know what I mean? It's all over. That's a picture of meekness. He just looks down and says, <laughs> you know what I mean? Power under control. You have the ability to devastate a person. You have the ability to just cut them to shreds. You have the ability to really just show them how sinful they are. And yet you don't. That doesn't mean you don't point their sin out. That doesn't mean you don't confront them. But you're mild. You're gentle. Power under control. Constructive, not destructive. It is submission to the will and the purposes of God. It is opposite to self-righteousness. Self-righteousness knows nothing of meekness. Self-righteousness can't understand why people do what they do. Self-righteousness says, I can't believe you did that. How could you? Self-righteousness ignores the ugliness of its own sin. Because after all, I'm special. I'm different. But you... Knows nothing of meekness. It endures without retaliation. It's patient without resentment. It's perseverance without bitterness. Now, who can handle that? You see what I mean? They're beatitudes, not do attitudes. <laughs> For they shall inherit the earth in the kingdom age. For it says right there, for they shall inherit the earth. In the kingdom age, absolutely. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ is said to be meek. I am meek and lowly in heart. Come unto me. Chapter 11, verse 29 of Matthew. The meekest man above all who are in the earth, Moses, in the book of Numbers. And yet, Moses was pretty nasty at times, wasn't he? 
But do you think you could do better with the children of Israel for 40 years? <laughs> the fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Righteousness, that which pleases and glorifies God. Campbell G. Morgan gives this definition. Divine discontentment with everything unlike God. Unlike God. Hunger and thirst. That means that there's a desire, that's a longing. And then there is a personal action to satisfy, to fulfill, to meet the need. But it begins with a longing, a passion, a desire. It doesn't just happen. Too often we think, well, you know, God, just do this for me. It doesn't just happen. Are you feeding and drinking from the well of life? Are you taking God's word into you and allowing it to go down and, and for your spiritual digestive system to break it up in its parts and send it to the extreme parts of your body and nourish you and make you a godly man and a woman? Or do you just eat junk food? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. The psalmist in Psalm 42, 1, it says he pants as a heart after the water brook. After you, O God. You have to desire it. The promise is, for they shall be filled. The word filled is the word that is used for cattle that are fattened at the stall. Absolutely, if you and I hunger for God, we shall be filled. There is no limitation upon God, but the limitation is placed on God by us. You can get fed all that you want. You can be filled to quench your thirst all that you want. One day in the great feast in John 7, as the Jewish custom was to bring water from the pool of Siloam and pour it out in the porch of the temple there. They would do it for seven days, declaring that God in the wilderness provided water for them. And But in the eighth day, they would no longer bring water, declaring that they were into the promised land now, and they didn't need water from God anymore. It was in that day that Jesus Christ stood to his feet and he says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. And out of his innermost being shall gush torrents of living water. They looked at him like he was crazy. And he shouted it. What was Jesus saying? You guys are still thirsty and you don't even know it. You guys still have need of the water of, of God and you don't even know it. Why? Because they were drinking of the water of this world that is polluted, contaminated, and they didn't even know it. We have promises throughout the scripture. Psalm 42, Isaiah 55, 1, Revelation 22, 7. He closes the book. If any man thirsts, let him come and drink freely. Told the woman of Samaria, if you drink of this water, you will thirst again. Oh, how true it is. You ever remember out there when you were in the world and you said, man, if I can do it, I'm going to do it. You know, you had all this thing, whether it was dope, sex, drinking or whatever, and you tried it and you said, well, that's not that bad. You know, but you had to go along with the game. Everybody, oh, yeah, that was great. Oh, that was bad. You know, we got to put this whole front. First time I drank a beer, I wanted to spit it out. But I said, body, you drink it. <laughs> That's right. 
That's right. I forced my body to develop a taste for it. But the first time, my body said, yuck, I don't like that. First time I lit up a cigarette, man, I coughed. <laughs> the water of life from this world. Poison. I hope you're drinking from that which comes from God. Purifies you, cleanses you, refreshes you. Gives you life. You shall be filled. The fifth one, in verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The word merciful means pity for a person with a compassionate heart. It's actually entering into the sufferings of that person to feel their hurt. It's almost getting under their skin, if you will. You see, sometimes we can be so merciful to somebody we know nothing about, a complete stranger. But that is not the evidence of being merciful. The evidence of being merciful is to your wife, to your husband, to your children, to your father, to your mother, to your brother in the flesh, to your sister in the flesh, someone who you live at home with. And they just blow it royally. And though you have to confront the fault and, and, and the consequence and all that, but that you can be merciful. Try to get in their shoes so you can feel their pain. This is the idea behind this word. It deals with serving compassionately. And it absolutely deals with forgiveness. Not being self-righteous. Now, I can't handle this. I don't know about you, but I can't be merciful. I mean, I want to give people the axe. I do. Because I become the standard. But as you walk with God, if you're not merciful, woe to you. Because you won't receive mercy from people, let alone from God. And not being merciful is a first mark of forgetting of all the mercy I have received. Which one of us in this auditorium can say, I don't need mercy or have ever received it of God? That's what Jesus did. He came into a human body to put himself in our place so he can feel all of our infirmities. Is that not what Hebrews teaches us? A compassionate high priest that was tempted in every point as we are. And therefore we can come before the throne of grace to find help and grace in time of need. A merciful high priest, it says. The unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, who was forgiven all his great debt, and then he went out to one who owed him just pennies after being forgiven millions. And he grabbed him by the neck and says, You pay me! And he threw him in prison. Another servant saw him, went to the guy and says, Hey, listen, this guy did this. He called him. He says, You evil servant, did I not forgive you all? Yes. And the application is so, your heavenly Father, if you don't forgive others. That's heavy. Do you know that forgiveness of you is conditioned upon your forgiveness to others with God? Not for salvation. But after you come to salvation, it's an absolute condition. And if you can't forgive others, God will not forgive 
you. And then you're out of fellowship. Absolute condition. Not for salvation, but it is for fellowship. Absolutely. Joseph. You remember his brothers, his father died, and they said, oh man, let's go to Joseph and say, Dad, before he kicked the bucket. He said, hey, listen, don't get bad at them. And Joseph was appalled. He was humbled. He says, am I in the place of God? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. All of Egypt is before you. God sent me before to preserve you. Merciful. Merciful. Sixth, in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart speaks of, uh, of that which is absolutely without flaw. It's used of washed clothes, of wheat being separated, of soldiers who are purged from cowards. In other words, unmixed. A heart that is sold out, a whole heart, a wholesome relationship with God. That's what it's speaking about. An undivided heart. David prays, Lord, put a door on my lips, make my heart united. Jesus later on speaks about the singleness of I. That we not let darkness in because then great will be that darkness that's in us. Now we have tension, we have a warfare that goes on, but our heart is fixed to God. And we make those decisions a day at a time. I've made that decision when I accepted Christ, but every day I have to make that decision. When temptations come, when problems come, when situation, when provocation comes, then I have to make that decision all over again. I affirm what I have already committed to every time. Blessed are the pure in heart. Thoughts, motives, actions that only God sees. As 1 Samuel 16, 7 said when Samuel went to anoint uh, David and all the handsome brothers came by and, and Samuel said, oh, surely this one. No, 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 no. All of a sudden David comes in. He says, him? He says, that's him. God does not look on the outwardness as man looks, but God looks upon the heart. Pure in heart. The heart speaks of the inner man. The whole man, who I really am in Christ. What He's making me. The potential in Him. And for that He says, for they shall see God. Now I see Him in fellowship. I see Him in the opportunities that He opens to me. But ultimately in eternity. See, if you're not pure in heart, everything you see, you, you taint and contaminate. You see a person, and you're not pure in heart, you say, ah, that guy's a creep. He's only opportunist. And you see this guy, and say, well, that guy's this and that. And you see, oh, that guy, you know, and you've got an opinion about everybody. You don't have a pure heart. You're seeing people in the flesh. Paul says, we no longer know any man after the flesh, but after Christ. Jesus said to, to Simon the Pharisee, he says, when he went to eat at his house, he, and that woman came in and washed his feet, which was a prostitute. And he says, Simon, I have someone to ask you. And he gave him the whole parable about the guy having two debtors and one forgave more and one the other one. Who would love the most? Says the one who was forgiven the most. He says, rightly stated. Now, you see this woman? Simon says, sure, I see this woman. But Simon didn't see the woman. Simon saw the prostitute. But Simon didn't see the new creature who had accepted Christ. Simon was still looking upon her as she used to be. Simon had a dirty heart, not a pure heart. How do you look at people who had a bad past? You look upon them and say, oh, yeah, shame on you. You have a filthy heart. 
You're a new creature. All things pass away, everything becomes new. And if you don't understand that, then you will taint the eyes of God. You'll see everything from your own perspective, from your own purity. And so that fellowship in the Psalms that says, those who have a clean heart, clean hands, they will be on the mountain of the Lord. They will be with Him. And I have to pray and, 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 and not give myself that every day, every opportunity, because you know what? I have to see God in whatever He puts before me. At least the potential. I have to give God that benefit. And you know what? It's better that we fail and we get ripped off and we get offended and we get hurt rather than to close the doors on someone. This is the Christian. Be attitude. Not do attitude. David is a classic example of pure heart. And yet David committed adultery, committed murder, he lied. David was quite a guy. But God says about David, he was a man after God's own heart. I take that to mean a man with a pure heart. David had his flaws, but he was sensitive to sin. And the only time we have a record of one year of, of evading it was when he fell with Bathsheba. But his heart was sold out to God. Then in verse 9, you have the seventh. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The peacemakers are those who, let me give you my definition. Those who seek to please God at any expense. At any expense. Those who seek to please God at any expense. We are to pursue peace with every man and all that is possible for us. We are to be peacemakers. We are to stay out of the way of the peace and unity that God has brought to the body. Leave it alone. Don't mess it up. See, we are to seek others' interests above our own. This is a peacemaker, one who seeks another's interest above his own. Also, one who seeks reconciliation, not rights. Today, people are into rights. Well, that's my right. You want rights? You want fair? Hey, line up. One who seeks unity, not strife. But not at the expense of doctrine. Be careful of the message today. Oh, let's just love one another. Not at the expense of doctrine. It doesn't matter what we believe. We just love one another. No, that's the message of the world. The hippies had that message. Free love. Work for a little while. Right message, wrong source. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace in Isaiah 9, 6. We are to be like him. What do you do in situations where there is strife? Do you want to be the one who's right or do you want to be the one to glorify God? Do you want to get to the heart of the issue or do you just want to win the issue? Do you want lasting peace or just temporary silence? There's a big difference. I can think of no better person than Paul, a peacemaker. 
And yet you see Paul confrontive. You see it in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Galatians, you talk about confronting. What was he after? Peace. But he did it in the wisdom of God and by the word of God. Absolutely. Notice how these Beatitudes move from passive to active. What you are affects what you do. But the emphasis on the Beatitudes is not doing, but it's being. Notice beginning verse 10. We get what disciples can expect in part of the Beatitudes. Verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, if you're persecuted, God's blessing will be upon you. God's hand will be upon you. But notice that the persecution is for righteousness' sake, not for self-righteousness' sake. Not for being weird. Sometimes Christians get persecuted and, and they think they're being persecuted for righteousness' sake, but it's really because they're weird. I mean, you ever run to Christians that are weird? You know, they're just extreme, you know? I mean, they just go out of the way and, you know, I don't, just be yourself, be regular. I mean, don't come in all weirded out. You know what I mean? They, they feel they, they walk around like morticians or something and, you know, or, you know, real self-righteous, real legalistic and all that. No. Or you're drawing attention to yourself, you go pray at Marie Callender's for lunch, and everybody's around there, and they ask you to pray. Oh, thank you, brother. You go, God, I just thank you. know, everybody's looking around, you know. <laughs> Be yourself. You better expect persecution. One way, shape, or form, for righteousness' sake. If you're living with Christ, then you will be persecuted. Be it at work, be it at home, be it at school. Verse 11, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. So, you will be reviled. You will be persecuted. All kinds of evil against you for my sake. So it's for righteousness sake and for the sake of Christ. Please understand that. Those are the two principles of persecution. Not for your stupidity. Not for your obnoxiousness. Not for your weirdness. But for righteousness sake and for His sake. And God will honor that. And you are to commit yourself in those sufferings to Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 4, 19. In your sufferings, knowing He's a faithful creator. Absolutely. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the third thing here is that you're in good company. Nothing's happening to you that hasn't happened to other godly men and women. Please put that under your belt. <laughs> Because when things go wrong, we think that, hey, you know, I'm the only one. No, you're not. And so, you need to understand here that you are in good company. Here's what you're to expect. Persecution, reviling, but great is your reward. Because as they persecuted the prophets, so they will persecute you. And so, here our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gives us in these Beatitudes what disciples do who disciples are and what disciples can expect. Now, you want to go for the kingdom? Jesus lays it all on the line. He doesn't deceive you. He tells you exactly where it's at. Now, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Or are you attempting to 
make them do attitudes. There be attitudes. Just be what God has called you to be and he will blow your mind. Pastor Xavier Reese with a challenge for us to stop talking and start becoming what Christ desires for us. And as always, you can pick up a copy of today's compelling study from the book of Matthew called A Disciple of Christ. It's available on CD for just $4. And this message also contains what Pastor Xavier shared last time we were together. So the title to ask for once again is A Disciple of Christ, or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for letting us know the call letters of this station when you contact us. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So join us for our heart check on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com